Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sherry, when we have people on the Untoxicated Podcast with us, it's normally someone who has experienced either as the loved one of an alcoholic or as the alcoholic themselves, addiction and recovery. And occasionally we have an expert on Mm -hmm. who works in that field and can speak to that field. Today, we've got the double. We've got someone who has live experience herself, but is also an expert with a ton of experience and a lot to offer and someone that I'm just getting to know, but I love her already and I love the work that she's doing Abby Medcalf, welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. Thank you. I was sharing before that I send clients to you all the time. So it's, it's, I'm fangirling a little. (laughs) It's exciting to be here with you. Well, it's, it's like we know each other already because of the cross currents, even though this is actually the first time that we've spoken live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Well, I'm going to do an introduction for Abby now, and it's going to take about 90 minutes. So (laughs) just hang in. Just hang in there, Intoxicated Podcast listeners. Um, we'll get through it. I, I love the way you describe yourself as a homeless heroin addict from New York who is now a suburban Californian mom. I mean, that's yeah. at the top list. Whenever someone, despite all your professional accolades and, um, and the resources that you can provide in that area, when you put mom at the top of the list, you got my attention because I think that's so important. Yeah, I don't have as many kids as you guys. I, I stopped, but <laughs> I stopped halfway. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> That's great. So Dr. Abby Metcalf has a PhD and two masters, I think, which tells me when we talk about addiction and recovery, clearly you're addicted to education because that's a lot of going to school to get a PhD and two masters. Yeah, you know, Jews from New York, it's not that weird, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, Abby is someone that is in long-term recovery. She works with addicts and loved ones and has done so for 30 years. She describes herself as a relationship maven. She's a psychologist. Um, Abby, you host your own podcast named Relationships Made Easy. And you are the author of Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. You are a TEDx speaker, and I have loved listening to you, well, listening and watching your TEDx speech. And I want to start, my first question is, because I had to look it up, so I know, so I guess it's unfair, but I'm sure there's somebody out there listening that is equally intellectually at the same level I am. And so what is a relationship maven? Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, maven is a Yiddish word, really, that it's, um, it's someone who knows a lot about something. That's really what it means. And relationships are my jam. It's my thing. It's all things. And as we know really well, you know, the opposite of addiction isn't really sobriety, it's connection, right? It's those relationships. That's at the end of the day. And all the research shows it now too, that people with the happiest lives have the best relationships. Uh, Harvard came out with a big study a couple of years ago, everyone was talking about, but that is, and it proved it to me and I'm sure to you guys, right? I mean, that's what you talk about. It's really about our relationships. That's what, that's it. At the end of the day, that's it. Well, for us, what's really interesting, you know, I started out writing about my recovery, my Mm -hmm. alcoholism, And then as I would bring Sherry in to the conversation and the writing as, you know, a piece of the puzzle, what we recognized is there's a gaping hole there because thankfully, God bless, we're very lucky. There are a million people now talking about addiction and recovery, their own personal journey with addiction and recovery. Mm -hmm. And so it's a great time to live in from that standpoint, but there's not a lot of people talking about the relationship side. And so- once we started going down that path and we, we got the reactions that we did, we realized big void. Um, there's a, a lot that needs to be done here. And I'm sure that that's gotta be the same with your experience, right? Do you, you must feel very wanted to be working in the area that you're working in. Is that a fair way to say that? Uh, I think it is a fair way to say that. Yeah. I, you know, at this point I have a lot of couples who aren't 
in recovery, so to speak, or that's not part of the thing. But like just yesterday, I started with a new couple, you know, like you guys, he's in recovery. She's, uh, she's not yet, you know, and she's coming along. And I think that that piece is one of the biggies that's been missing for a long time that the person married to us <laughs> has some issues too. You know, there, there's, it's not a, I, I often use, um, you know, it, it's not a, a really together, super healthy person that falls in love with an addict, right? I say, would love to Sherry, right? It, it's, you know it now. You're like, oh yeah, I realized stuff I didn't do. I wasn't thinking about. And I hear sometimes people say, um, oh, he, you know, she wasn't drinking when I married her or he wasn't this way when I, you know, or the highly functioning, which really is your story, which is a common one actually, which is again, so good to talk about. One of the reasons I send people to you because I work with a lot of people who have not imploded their lives completely, who are still married, who have their jobs. And I think those are the ones needing the most help in a way because they don't realize it as much and their partners too. So I hear things like if you would just get sober, our relationship would be perfect. And the three of us know that's the farthest thing from the truth, right? That it's a symptom of a problem. It's not the problem. And so both people really need to get healthy for, to have a happy, really sober relationship on the other side. And that's, you know, that's the thing that was missing forever. And when I, when I got into recovery, um, I mean, I first started going to the rooms in 1980. Um, there was no females in the rooms, by the way, uh, and certainly not in NA, which was very new. Um, so I was going to AA. In those days, you had to lie. You couldn't even say you did drugs. I had to just lie and say I was an alcoholic. Um, and But there was no one talking about any, you know, it was just like we had to fix ourselves. Maybe, you know, you had a Lois who went, who started Al-Anon and, and did some Al-Anon, but it was really like for us. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they were getting yeah. well, like for us, you know, because of us, as opposed to now we have CODA and all kinds of things where people are getting like, oh, I might have, <laughs> you know, a lot of adult children marry drug addicts and alcoholics, you know, and now we can go to ACOA meetings, things like that. So I, I feel like it's so great that we're having these really honest conversations about both people getting healthy and not all the focus on just the one. Yeah. I, I mean, we couldn't agree more. It, it, in, when I was getting sober, I remember thinking, you know, this is the hardest thing I'm ever going to have to do. This is the hardest thing I'm ever going to have to do. And then once I had some sobriety and I realized that our marriage was in even worse shape and, you know, going down the drain in my early sobriety, it was such a stark realization that, oh my gosh, no, this is going to be the hardest thing I'm ever going to have to do. Us, we are ever going to have to do to save the, the marriage. And how long, Sherry, was it in that I was in sobriety before you started in therapy and actually looked at the fact that you needed help on your side as well? Oh, I, embarrassingly, I think it was about three years. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's anything to be embarrassed yeah. about. It's just kind I mean, of like unknown. Of, yeah. I, I mean, I'd heard of Al-Anon and, you know, being codependent and all of that. I just didn't really think that that was me. I knew that, you know, I, my family growing up, my mom divorced my father, who was the alcoholic. So he was sort of removed from the home, but there was still chaos and trauma, you know, every other weekend. So you're right. Like there was obviously something the matter with me and I needed to take a look at some of those things. And because I had changed like yeah. during the active alcoholism that became somebody I didn't want to be. So I didn't yep. really consider how much I needed therapy. Mm-hmm. Oh, so great. No, it's I such kudos. It's like, I'm so happy when people get it, you know, that there's these two pieces. And that's the thing I talk on the TED talk where you're a team. So anything that's affecting one of you is affecting both of you. So becoming sort of expert in that, like I want Matt to also be expert in, you know, codependency and all things that, right. That's really how you figure it out together. Right. Doing that. Well, it's been, it's been a life-changing experience for me to understand what Sherry has gone through. And a lot of that understanding has come through the feedback we get from listeners and readers and the Echoes of Recovery group, because I've got, I, I've had the opportunity to see that, oh, what Sherry's talking about, there's a lot of other people talking about that too. So 
even in my early sobriety, even in my longer than early sobriety, I still thought, yeah, you know, the alcohol caused all these problems. My addiction was center stage, the biggest issue that we had, but she's still a little bit crazy. And then I, I, I got to hear the exact same thing from so many other people. And I realized, oh, if she's crazy, everybody's crazy. So yep. apparently she's not crazy. This is <laughs> part of the life on the other side. You know, Abby, one of the things that I love the most about doing a podcast as opposed to a scripted, highly produced like radio show is that there is no script and we get to bounce all over the place. So I want to ask you a question based on something you said a few minutes ago, but this is going to come a little bit out of left field, but I'm really interested in your opinion or your thoughts. You talked about the fact that as opposed to sobriety being the opposite of addiction, that connection is the opposite of addiction. That's, you know, a highly well-accepted thing within the recovery community. And I don't fully dispute it, but I'm, I'm beginning to believe that the actual, the opposite of addiction is, is more along the lines of self-esteem because whenever, and, and even in, in my sobriety now, my long-term sobriety, when I start feeling bad about myself, I grab a bag of Doritos or a gallon of ice cream. And I know that the Doritos and the ice cream represents what alcohol used to represent to me. That's when I would have poured a drink if I was still in that vein. So it, it's just such a one-to-one relationship between, I feel like shit, something hasn't gone well or, or some multiple things haven't gone well and I need to medicate. And since I don't drink alcohol anymore, I'm going to reach for something else to medicate with. So that low self-esteem is really a driving factor in my addictive behaviors. Do you see that with other people? Do you, what's your response to the idea that connection is important, but maybe it's low self-esteem that's the opposite of addiction? Well, I, it's interesting. I think it's a both and because we can't mm-hmm. truly connect to others unless we feel worthy of the connection. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, this comes up in our, our codependent, like for me, when I'm getting codependent where I'm not, I'm saying, um, I've got this, I don't need help. Uh, you know, um, my Gary, my partner always says on my tombstone, it's going to say, I'm fine. I've got this, uh, you know, like (laughs) I got it. I'm, I'm a control freak, you know, I'm a control enthusiast. And that's where I go when I'm scared or worried. And that's, and really that's what all addiction is. It's a control thing, right? It's control. Like you can't control how much I drink. It's a big F you to anybody else. Like this is something I have. No one can make me do it or not do it. And it's mine completely. And the fact that we are looking for something outside of ourselves to have that feeling of control is right, is the problem. And so, yeah, when you talk about self-esteem, absolutely. If I can't even connect to myself and feel like I'm a, I'm worthy of voicing my opinion, asking for help, you know, being vulnerable, then how am I truly going to connect? Because when we're just giving, you know, a relationship means you receive also. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that happens a lot. We just start giving and giving instead of also receiving. And so, yeah, the, and the reason we're giving is because it feels good. It fills up our self-esteem, right? It Maybe we like being a martyr. Maybe we like, you know, whatever it is, but it's how we're getting a feeling of agency in the world as opposed to the real deal, right? Which is, I don't know, I'm always working on it. I feel like we're never quite there. I'd like to be there. I'd like to say that, but I'm always sort of noticing where it's not there and, you know, trying to fill in the holes. But that's the greatest thing about working on relationships and working with other people on their relationships. I think it's a very healthy way to continue to work on it and to always be trying to get better. I wouldn't want to be someone who was stuck in a place where I'm just constantly working on sobriety. I feel like at this point, you know, most days there's very, 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 very little chance, if not zero chance that I'm going to drink now that, you know, I, I get that there are days that are bad enough that I still need to keep my guard up and be careful. I understand that, but I don't, I don't want to just focus on constantly working on sobriety. I want something bigger and, um, you know, more fulfilling to work on. And like you said, the relationship's never going to be perfect. And, yeah. and my personal growth is never going to be perfect. So always having that to be working toward, um, it just feels good. And to be yeah. helping other people work toward it as well. Yep. I always say to clients or anywhere that what you do to achieve sobriety is not what you do to maintain sobriety. Mm. 
And, you know, right. So I used to go to a meeting every day. I don't go to a meeting every day anymore. Like <laughs> it's been, it's been a long time. I really don't. And so that, that what's next is always. And I remember, you know, early in my recovery for me, there was a lot of, I did a course in miracles. I became a Buddhist. I walked on hot coals with Anthony Robbins. I, you know, you name it, I've done it to try to shift and grow as a human. And so, yeah. And I think sometimes when we're so focused on sobriety, we're focused on the lack and not not what we do want. We're focused on what we don't want. Because in a way, right, focus on sobriety, so I don't relapse. And so in that, I'm focused on relapse. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's a yeah, little nugget of that. It's actually my complaint about gratitude. <laughs> I i don't know. If you're in sobriety, you've written more gratitude lists than you've ever <laughs> wanted to even talk about, right? And i that's, I've learned that's really, you know, you can write a gratitude list all friggin' day. You can sit, I can sit there all day. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. But when you do it, think about it. So if I'm saying I'm grateful for my home, what I'm really saying is I'm grateful I'm not homeless. Okay. Yeah. I'm so lucky I still have a job. I'm so grateful to still have a job when so many people are out of work because other people are out of work. I could lose my job. There is actually a nugget of what you lack in there. And so my focus is on appreciation in a moment. And if you do this at the Thanksgiving table, instead of the thing, like, so instead of everyone going around, I'm grateful for this, I'm great, right? That thing, I'm sorry, I don't mean to mock people that do that. I'm sorry, God bless you. If you're doing that, that's great. But instead, try this as you're going around, say something you appreciate in the moment right now, right now. I really appreciate that I'm sitting here with my family and that, you know, I haven't seen my dad in six months and I'm hanging out with him, whatever. I really appreciate uh, that I feel so present in this moment with all of you. It's incredible. I'm feeling how loving it is right now. People start crying. People start like really connecting as opposed to you're going around the room and everyone's thinking about, Oh, I got to come up with something to be grateful for. What am I going to think about? Let me think, let me think, you know, right. I used to do that in rehab in the groups when they asked for your feelings. Cause I didn't know my feelings. <laughs> so I would wait, I'd look around and like, Oh, he said shy. That's good. Oh, oh, she said, Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, she said uncomfortable. I'm going to use that, you know, and I would like copy them. Cause I didn't know what I was, <laughs> but I wasn't in the group. Right. I'm not really listening. I'm not really engaged because I'm thinking. So that, that's, that's Abby. That's such a nuanced distinction between being grateful for something in kind of a bigger picture way and being grateful for something in the moment. And I never in a million years would have made that distinction. So thank you. Well, I have to say thank you because now I understand why maybe I got mad whenever we would be fighting or things were going bad and he'd be like, well, I'm still drinking, but you have this and you have that, like be grateful mm. for this or you've got a cars that are paid off and blah, blah, blah. And I would just get more and more mad. Like I was like, Oh, I should be thankful for this. Well, I just want, an emotionally stable husband, you know, yep. like kind of yep. that in the moment. Yeah. I know I have all that, Yeah, but what I want in the moment is not what I'm getting. And you're reminding me of those things that I'm not getting. So. Yep. Oh, it's so good. That's so good. You go Sherry. That is. Thank I mean, you. Cause I always feel, I always felt terrible. Like, right. Oh, I should be grateful for all of that. Exactly. Like there's something wrong with me. That, and it's, it, it even gets into kind of a toxic positivity kind of thing, which I actually just recorded for my podcast because there's a whole thing on that. But you know what I mean? Like you're only, it, it's like some giant scorecard that we're keeping and it's not, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, you know, right now I, for years I did a, I did work at a non-for-profit, I've always worked in a rehab, always done a group in a rehab, 30 years I've been doing groups and rehabs because I love it. Not, you know, I just like to work with addicts in that way. And I worked at a nonprofit for many, many, many years and, you know, doing groups there and very fulfilling homeless people, you know, all the things. Right. And right now I do groups, a group at a very fancy rehab um, in Sausalito, California. It's beautiful. They do amazing work. I'm so proud to, to be there, but I can hear people's judgment sometimes like, Oh, like people with money, you know what I mean? Like what, it's like their problems are just as real as your. Like you don't get to say, "Oh, I should feel guilty about, about complaining about this just because I have a house or I've got money in the bank." That is nuts because all of us have more than other people. So what? Yeah. That means nobody can ever have anything that makes them unhappy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I love not keeping the giant scorecard, and because it's really about how you feel 
in a moment. There is nothing more important than how you feel. Nothing. So I'm, I'm wondering if that, this realization that you've just shared with us, which is super powerful. Mm-hmm. I, this wasn't even on my list of things to talk about. This That's is awesome. why it's fun to be on, yeah. right? But I'm wondering if this came from uh, your, your Buddhist practice or walking on the hot coals with Tony Robbins. <laughs> and because we all know, even, even us just admirers of Buddhism know that that is all about focusing on the present, I'm guessing. That, is that where a lot of this idea has come from for you? Absolutely. And really being focused on how I feel in a moment. You know, I, I talk, I talk a lot about, we'll go here now about plan. We plan everything, right? We, we plan today to be together today. We, we plan our schedules. We plan parties. We plan events. We plan our weddings. We plan all these things. And the thing we don't plan that we should plan more than anything is how we feel. Hmm. Because I can have the perfect wedding day. And if I don't feel good, guess what? Right? It's, it's going to be a crappy day. So, but yet we pay so little attention to that. And we're so into sort of the doing. So I set intention a lot about how I want to feel moving into the next thing. So, but that starts with how I feel right now. Right? So how am I feeling right now? Oh, I'm, I'm feeling a little anxious. I'm going to go on the podcast. I'm, you know, I sat before we met, right? I just sat here and I set intention. I thought, how am I feeling? It's like, oh, it's a little, little, a good anxiety, you know, like, a, ooh, you know, and then I just got really clear. It's like, I want to be of service and I want to really have people listen and walk away going, I have actionable ways to help myself right now. Like I really, I got something new. And that's it. And so I just set that and to feel really centered and calm and to connect and that's it. And then I come in and hopefully you feel that energy. I mean, there's like a, there's a real thing about that, that, but we, you know, people just, Oh, sit down. It's time. Oh, now I'm meeting with this person. Now I'm doing that. I do it before every session with my clients, like every single time I just, it takes some seconds. It's super impressive. And your energy level is super impressive and it's contagious with a lot of times in sessions that we do, we ask everyone in the group to give us a number between one and 10. I don't remember. Do you remember where we got this? Um, I feel like at my church staff, she would have a check-in and I brought it to you and I said, maybe you could do it with your girls' soccer team because it's the end of a school day. And maybe you don't say exactly what you're feeling, just throw out something you know, like a thumbs up or thumbs down or thumbs sideways or a number or something just to make it kind of quick to go through. But that way you would know. Yeah. Cause I feel like like so, we did it to know where people were like, yeah. if they're having a hard time and a hard day, we can Good. kind of send energy that way. It's a replacement for how are you? Cause everyone answers, how are you fine? fine. Or good. Okay. And so it, the, when we explain it to people, we say, you don't have to give us any detail. If we say, how are you between one and 10, 10 is the best day of your life. One is the worst day of your life and someone says they're a two, but they don't want to talk about it, at least we can um, manage them or not manage them. That sounds arrogant. But as we're communicating with them, we can be sensitive to the fact that this person's having a rough time right now. And, and so that's going to have something to do with how we're going to go through the communication. Now I say all of this, all of this preamble about the one through 10 to tell you, I was about a four coming into this today, Abby. Uh, we've just, there's some stuff going on in the background that we've been dealing with and you have made me like a seven or eight because you are so full of energy. So Good. I love your setting intention. I'm going to do that from now on. I'm going to be thankful in the present. This is such good stuff. I'm so excited. Yeah. No more gratitude. Yeah. Aren't you happy to have that off your list? You're like, I don't have to do a gratitude list anymore. Yes. <laughs> well, it really does. It really does make you feel bad sometimes and you don't understand why. And now I think I have a better well, understanding. And I'll why. take it one step farther for you that. So when you're in bed, the, as soon as the alarm goes off or however you wake up, you know, mm-hmm. often our first thoughts are about lack. I'm so mm-hmm. tired. I didn't get enough sleep, right? What a crappy way to start your day. <laughs> I mean, really crappy. And you have to stay ahead of the momentum. I say a lot, you know, if you have a car on top of a hill and it starts to roll, you don't run to the bottom to stop it. You know, you want to stop it at the top. Yet we'll think all kinds of crappy thoughts all day and let our minds just do whatever. And then at four o'clock, we want a cookie or a drink or a whatever, or we're snapping at our person we love the most because we haven't been paying attention. 
And so if you just lay there for what, I mean, I'm telling you, I do it. It takes seconds. And I just appreciate, like, I have nice sheets and I appreciate my really, I love how they feel. You know, sometimes Gary's nice and warm next to me. You know, I appreciate that. I, I just take a moment or I, I have a little thing of seashells and I think about that vacation. I just take a moment and I just get in that state before I get out of bed. And staying ahead of that momentum is one of the best tips you can have in any relationship of really, again, planning your feelings. Now I'm going in the shower and I'm going to be, I'm going to think about it here. I'm going to go this. I'm going to think about it here. It takes seconds. But so when I'm waking up my children, I'm not in that rush of, you know, I'm waking up my children. I'm stopping to see them. It takes a few seconds, right? It's so great. You know, you have kids like as they get older, you can't snuggle them the same. So when they're in bed, you get to like, right, they're helpless. It's awesome. So it's a wonderful time to snuggle them. And my, my 17 year old boy, you know, who I normally don't get to do that with, he, he can't, you know, he can't resist, but but the piece with that is, so then I'm feeling better, they're feeling better. And what you're doing is being what I call the dominant vibration in the room. We all the time, right? Let's say, let's say Matt comes home and Sherry's in a bad mood, which I'm sure she never is, but right. And then you might be in a great mood and you walk in the house and she's in a bad mood and suddenly you're in a bad mood, right? I hear this all the time from couples. They're like, oh, but the other, and it's like, well, why didn't they just, why didn't you have you them calibrate to you? Why were you going to the negative? Why was that the winner? So if you're bringing that energy, right? That kind of but that's like crazy. And, and our brains go negative. There's all kinds of other stuff there. But to really be thoughtful, I for some reason, most people have never thought of it. Like, oh yeah, why do we go to that? Why don't we go to the happier part? Why don't we go to the, that, why don't we be that dominant vibration? that you bring into anything and you can change your vibration all the, you know, I say that word vibration. I don't mean to sound too law of attraction-y, but you know, that, that whatever we're putting out that people pick up on, we're not physically in the room together, but you can pick up on the energy. Uh, we all do that all the time. So it's a really important, like these little things are really what create relationships that feel really fulfilling and connecting because we can really be there in those moments instead of on autopilot and, you know, complaining about, I don't know. I, I had a couple last week. She was complaining that he wasn't changing the filter in their, um, like a water thing, you know, like their water or whatever that has a filter. Sure. And she was kind of, she's like, it's just an F and filter. I don't, I don't remember if we can swear. Uh, it's just an F and filter. Why aren't, you know, why can't you just do it? And I said to her, if it's just an F and filter, why do you care? Like, why is it such a big deal that you're ready to have a divorce? Like what, what is going on? Right. It's just yeah. that like getting into a different headspace first and not allowing ourselves to just go on autopilot all day. And then, cause then it's almost too late. You just have to go nap. <laughs> yeah. When you're, when you're talking about the filter, it's not really about the filter. And no. that's, I, I listened to Dax Shepard quite a bit. Um, his podcast and yeah. he talks about it he his example is unloading the dishwasher when we're unloading the dishwasher and we're arguing about it that's not really what we're arguing about at all nope no nope. so that communication piece is so important and it brings me to one of the cornerstones of your work really you talk about the fact that couples that have relationship problems think the problem in their relationship is communication and you happen to be sitting across from a couple who thinks when we have problems in our relationship that the biggest problem is communication, but you're here to say, no, it's not communication, it's something else. Can you talk a little bit about that, Abby? Of, of course it's, you know, that, well, that's what ends up being the problem. You'll go to therapy, you'll work on communication skills and they don't seem to work. <laughs> and it's, be, it's because you're not taking care of, you know, it's like putting a second story on a house and there's bad foundation. You, it's not going to work. And the real issue is competition. And especially, I mean, you've got four kids, you know, especially with children, I would say, but it happens all the time, regardless. I think you have four kids. Don't I remember that from something? I, I remember listening to something where you said it. Okay. <laughs> it just occurred to me, like, did I make that up? Um, so if you think about it, that like, it's your turn to put away the dishes. It's your turn. We're keeping score. Like that's because you are. We keep the score all the time. And you were doing it like you just gave a great example. Sherry gave that great example, right? Well, I'm not drink I'm drinking, but we have a house and we have this and there's cars and there's money. And it's like, 
we, there's no keeping score because it puts you on opposite teams. That's the only time we keep score. And so if I'm really busy watching what you're doing or not doing, right, that's where my energy is that problem number one, but also we're comparing apples and oranges a lot, right? So things that, things that my hubby does that make me feel I didn't. Okay. I didn't, <laughs> you don't marry someone because they mow the lawn. Well, I've never heard of that. You're right. I've All right. Never heard of that. You don't, you marry them. because I, like, feel... I would have nine or 10 wives. Well, there you go. And who wants that? Yeah. He's a rock star. Oh yeah. You can barely handle one. Right. It's like, why would I want right. more? Um, but because we have, but then we fight about that. We fight about mowing the lawn. We fight about the water heaters. We fight about the, the dishwasher. It's not there. It's really, we should be focusing on the things, the reasons we got married. You know, this person makes me feel safe. They make me feel loved. They make me feel cherished. That's what we want to be focusing on. But when you're comparing, so I can forget all that if I'm adding up, oh, it takes me 10 hours a week to do all the shopping and to make food. And it only takes you three hours a week to mow the lawn. So I win or you owe me or I, again, craziness, because the value that our partners bring is not in the hour to hour. It's not, it's just not, if you can hire someone to do it, you shouldn't be fighting about it. If yeah. it, I'm, that's why I say, if you can hire someone, you shouldn't be fighting. Well, I, that really clears up a lot for me. Cause I feel like Matt's a very high energy worker. He gets, he's very productive. He gets a lot done in a day, even like you know, working for other companies and owning our own business in the bakery. Like he is just fast paced. He moves through and I am more like slow and steady. And I always felt terrible because I just couldn't keep up or I always felt mm. lacking. And I'm sure the drinking and the arguments that would happen because of those gratitude things. Oh, well, I do this for you and I do that for you. It would make me feel really bad, but I never thought about it as being competitive. I just felt less than like I couldn't yeah. keep up with his pace or his standards. Well, and, and then and what's interesting now, I've learned to really appreciate as I watch our kids develop as they go through the teen years, uh -huh. I've learned to really appreciate how nurturing she is for them. And I've thought many times, oh, my God, if they were left just with me, they'd be hosed. Because it would be like, what are we doing next? You know, let's get this done. Let's get this next thing done. And yeah. the, the climbing in bed with the 17-year-old to snuggle them, that wouldn't be happening. And that needs to happen. That's important. Yes. And so I have a great deal of respect. I didn't when I was drinking. I was an asshole when I was drinking. But now I have a great deal of respect for the, the nurturing component of what Sherry brings to the relationship and to the family. And But I think I appreciate it more than you appreciate, even though you're the one doing it. Does that make yeah. sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that value, but yes. So you were, first of all, yes, Sherry, you were competing. You, you didn't think of it as competition, but that you were comparing that is competition. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's very subtle on the partner who does more. And there's always that in a, in a marriage and a relationship with the person who does more. There's a lot of that kind of comparison, right? Well, I'm, cause again, you're keeping score. And when something isn't there, you go right to the scorecard. Oh, but I did this, this, and this. What, why, how could you possibly complain? Right. And mm -hmm. often we're doing things because it's what we like, not because it's what our partner likes. It's, you know, so if I go on a business trip and I'm cooking food for the kids and I'm, you know, coordinating all their rides and, and make sure the uniforms are clean and doing all the things, right. You know, Gary would just assume I didn't do any of that and got a blowjob. Right. I mean, let's be like, yeah. let's be real and order Domino's pizza every night. Like, you know, but that's something I'm feeling guilty because I'm leaving the kid. You know what I mean? This is, this is what's really happening. And then, of course, if he complained, like, hey, I didn't get any attention. What I might have said, like, attention, I cooked 20 things and I did this and I did this. And I did, you know what I'm saying? We're not the reaction, no matter what, if your partner says I need whatever, you know, needs to be. Yes, <laughs> not a battle about what you did that they shouldn't feel that way. Think of that. We're telling them they shouldn't feel that way. They have no right to feel that way. How dare you feel that way? That's what we're saying. And what a horrible thing to say to the person we love the most. Like Absolutely. But at the same time, 
one of the things that sobriety has allowed me to do that I was not able to do before was, and I talked about it a second ago a little bit, but have an appreciation for the things that bring Sherry joy. And so when she's, for instance, when I'm, you know, working super hard, she's taking the kids to the amusement park and the old mat, the drinking mat would have thought, what a waste of time. She could have been getting all this stuff done. And now I say, oh, not only is that good for the kids, that's really good for my wife that she gets to bond with them this way. So, so yes, my needs, my needs for her to do X, Y, and Z are still there, but it's, they're soothed in a, in a great many ways by the fact that I know that the things she's doing are not only important, but they're important to her. They're important to her mental health. Um, yeah. That's a hard, is that a hard place for people to get to, mm-hmm. but that's important, isn't it? For an appreciation uh-huh. for our spouses, the things they value, which are different from the things we value. Right. Well, it's often why we get together, by the way, that opposite attract thing is very real. But then okay. when you have a family and bills and kids and stuff, we get annoyed by it. But what you're practicing, which I love the words for that, is that you're practicing unconditional acceptance versus unconditional love is very nice. I think all of us know our partners love us. But to truly, we don't really feel the love unless we feel accepted for who we are as humans. Otherwise, and that's, again, a lot of the fighting couples are having. It's like, but I love you. I tell you all the time. I, you know, I do this. I do that. It's like, but I don't feel accepted for who I am as a human. So I'm not feeling that love. By the way, this applies to your kids too. Mm -hmm. You know, this is everybody. Everybody in the world wants to feel accepted more than anything else. And then we feel all the good things. And that's really, if I think about, it's truly sobriety, right? It's truly the steps. I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. It's like, this is this person, but in a good way. I, you know, I don't know if you've ever read the Stoics, but um, they're, they have a saying called, Amor fati. It's it's Latin for lover of your fate. And for me, my sobriety completely changed when I got this because I used to always think of acceptance as I got to accept it. Like you got to suck it up, right? Oh, Gary's uh, like this. I just got to suck it up. Mm -mm. (laughs) It's not that. It's the opposite. It's 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 embracing it. It's embracing it, not accepting it like uh, but saying. Life is happening for me, not to me. This is here, like, like, oh, this is awesome what she does. Yeah, it's not what I do, but I love her so much. And I'm watching her face light up. My Gary loves these Spartan races. Do you know these things? I think there should be medication for this, but he thinks they're great. He thinks they're fun. He says things like, I get to go work out. That is not part of my vocabulary. (laughs) He loves exercising. He thinks it's so great. So, but I go to these races with him, you know, I do, I go, I fill up the bathtub with ice for what he's done. And, you know, I get Gatorade and I'm like his pit crew, but I don't like them. Like, I don't want to be in a dusty place in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm wearing stilettos now. Like I don't, I don't even wear sneakers, you know? So I, this is not me. Okay. But I am a Gary fan. Do you know what I mean? And when I watch his little face light up, he's six, four, he's not such a little face, but when I watch him, just, he lights up like a little kid when he's out there and I watch him come in, he's so excited. And that is like, I get to support that. And obviously again, coming back to my TED talk, that idea that if we're a combined unit, if we're a shared resource, every time he is happy and living his best, I'm getting I'm not losing because we're not keeping score. Oh, he spends time doing Spartan. He spends time away from me. I'm losing. No, no, no. He's enriched. He's, you know, she's at the park. She's going to come home excited with stories and all this energy that I get to be part of because we're a team, because we're a shared resource. So the competition starts to go away when we really do that. But people get in their heads like, oh, I'm going to get taken advantage of. And there's not going to be enough. This idea that, you know, from having kids, love is so abundant. It's so like exponential. We know that you, you know, you have your first kid, right? I could never love anything as much as this. And then you have another one and you realize that wasn't true. Right. And then if you're, you crazy people, you keep doing it. Right. But you, you keep saying, wow. And the love just is expanding. It's not like you feel like 
I love this one less because I love that one more. Your time might be different, your other things, but not love. And, and that's really the thing to, to really get. That's true sobriety to me is really embracing that. Wow, that's powerful. One of the things that I've heard you say, Abby, you say the, the person in the couple that's in the most pain thinks they always have to change or we think that they always have to be the first to change. But that's not necessarily true. Can you can you talk about that? Well, I actually think they are. I, I think it is the person in the most pain needs to change first. Okay. And okay. what happens is that okay. it's okay. I lo we love you anyway. This is all good. You're supposed to. Uh, people get in, couples to me get into a lot of relationship gridlock. They're, <laughs> everyone's waiting for everyone else to move their car. You know what I mean? I'll do this when he does that. I'll do this if she does that, right? It's all conditional. It's all conditional. Somebody has to move their car first and realize you can go around the block. You don't have to go through that intersection. Okay, there's another way. <laughs> and that's the one in the most pain. Because so what happens, I'll get people come to me and they're like, if, if, if he would just stop drinking, right? So we got to get him to stop drinking. We got to get, you know, and I'm like, he's not in pain like you are. He's, I mean, he's in his own pain, but he doesn't realize it. Like that, that's not what's happening here. You're yeah. the one leading the charge. You're the one with all this. So you need to change you first. Like you need to work on you and you need to figure it out. Like you need to figure you out. And that obviously blows people's minds a little bit, but it also empowers them. I'm completely powerless. If I'm waiting for you, I'm sure Sherry had that for years. I'm waiting for you to do something. So I'm feeling abandoned. I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling powerless. What horrible feelings to walk around in a marriage. But when you start doing something, you feel different. Maybe if you go to therapy, that's why you just tell me, start with therapy, you know, start with going Al Anon if you want to do that. Start with, go, start with going for a walk when you're pissed at them. <laughs> start with something that you can do that is not connected to them doing something. And that is where the, that's where it all opens up. But focusing on them and deciding that they're the problem or whatever they're doing is the problem. And that's what needs to change before anything else can change is misery. So how do you answer this, Abby? We have a lot of people that we get to know that either their, their loved one is still drinking, their spouse is still drinking, or even in that early sobriety period that I think all three of us know is just as selfish as the, the, yeah. Um, active alcoholism period, because you're so focused on, I got to get sober. I got to do the work. I got to go to the meetings. I got to read the stuff. I got to fight these cravings. I got to do all this stuff. So as the loved one of that, you're waiting for the time when the attention turns to you and, and, and you get to feel like you're the top priority in this person's life, but they, they used to have alcohol as the top priority. Now sobriety is the top priority. And you're still, this was the case for Sherry. You're still second best. And in the meantime, you're doing all the house chores and you're taking care of the kids and you're holding it all down. What do you say to someone who comes to you and says, I'm doing everything around here and he's finally sober, but all he does is go to his damn meetings and read his books and, and work on sobriety. He's still not, you know, present. Uh, yeah, present and carrying his weight around here. What do you say to that person? Yeah. So again, it's the keeping score right? Yeah. We're back to it. Cause you're looking at all the things you're doing. So getting sober is a lot. Mm -hmm. It's friggin' huge. And it's equal to everything you're doing around the house. It is. I, it's equal. It is so, all, I know it doesn't look time-wise equal, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It doesn't look, you know, if you're, if, again, if you're keeping track of time, you're going to be miserable. There is a, but again, and when you're waiting, when we're conditional like that, like, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm waiting. When's my turn? There's that energy that's very present. Your turn is that you love this person and they're finally doing something that's helping them, which might or might not stick by the way. Like, right. We don't know. Your turn is making sure maybe you need to get help in to take care of some stuff. As couples, we're always it makes me nuts. We're always doing this. You pull your weight, right. Uh, you know, and I talk about in the Ted talk, you know, it, no, your partner cannot take anything off your plate. It's the same plate. So if, if, if both of you are drained, it's a bigger problem. So get someone to walk the dog, you know, 
hire someone to clean the house for a while. And I usually tell people to do it for about three months, early sobriety, right? That first three months, four months uh, is really the time. So bring in help, bring in resources to, and if you don't have money, ask your mother-in-law or whoever to help. And usually when you give people a finite time, they'll do it. If you tell people, can you just watch the, can you pick up the kids from school and there's no (laughs) end date? They're like, I don't know. If you say, Hey, for the next month, can you please pick up my kids from school Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? You're going to get a yes. I'm telling you right now, you're going to get a yes because people are like, Oh, I could do that. I could help. I could do that. The other piece is, so you start to do that. So you start to bring in resources so that you're not so drained right? So there's bandwidth and room for you to kind of be around this and maybe go do something you need to do to take care of yourself, right? But then beyond that, when you do interact with your partner, if you're not focused on what you don't have, if you're not focused on the lack and the loss, okay, if you're not focused on that, then you're focused on what you do want. So maybe Every, oh, he has to, she has to do, maybe it's the wife, right? She has to do these gratitude lists every morning, right? What if I sat with her and did it with her? And we spent that time together. Maybe we shared a gratitude or an appreciation. Now people know, uh, right? But do you know what I mean? What if I leaned into this, not in a codependent way of like, what are you doing? Did you talk to your sponsor? Do you do the thing, right? Not that, not, not that. But what could I share here? What, what could I learn? Maybe I could ask my partner, like, I know you're learning a lot. You know, can you tell me something you're learning? Like, I'd love to hear. You, just yeah. that. Like, have a conversation. Well, I think there is, there is that fear of I'm going to be codependent acting if I'm, you know, asking about it or, and make, but you're right. There is a difference because I felt like, so, you know, when you read the list of what a codependent is, there's a million things on it. I feel like, I feel like it's everybody, but it also is hard to kind of feel like you're in a relationship and being a partner and you don't know where codependency draw the lines of being in a relationship. And like you said, you're in it together. Yep. So, so being curious of what's going on on the other side of the street doesn't necessarily mean that it's a codependent relationship. It just means you're engaged. Um, but I like how you explain that, that you know, working together a little bit because you've taken care of yourself, but don't harp about, you know, the meetings and, you know, making sure you're reading and are you getting enough exercise? Like the mother hen sort of theory, but just, because I know by the time Matt got, was working on sobriety for this last time, I was over it. I was done. I was detached. I didn't want to know because I had heard too many times before. And if I had known now, you know, what I know, if I knew then what I know now, (laughs) sorry, um, I probably would have felt better about it. And I probably could have lowered my walls because I would, but I did feel a change because he was learning something different this time, learning about brain chemistry and nutrition. And I probably would have been more accepting and believing that sobriety was going to stick. And then maybe I could have made it a little easier because he would feel more supported. And I would have felt like we were I wouldn't have built up resentments of that. You know, it's so right on that we forget that this is a disease, right? It really is. I mean, it's not made up to make people feel better. And if our partner had cancer and was, you know, in and out of remission, by the way, our rates of relapse are the same as other chronic diseases. They are not more. Hmm. So I'll be really clear. Like from the research, our rate of relapse is the same as any chronic disease. But we don't get on our partner, you know, if there's a, another heart attack or, you know, the blood pressure goes back up or right, these other chronic illnesses, it's because we see it as a choice still. Like if they really love me, you know, they'd be doing this different. And when we can, again, educate ourselves and just like you would, if your partner had cancer, you'd find everything out you could about that cancer. But I find often with alcoholism, there's like, it's your problem, go deal with it. And so again, if you can join without, I'm so with you, I think it's such a good distinction without, because no, one is fear-based and one is love-based. It's very different. The fear of like, are you doing it? What are you doing? Did that, right? That's fear-based. That's not love. That's why the partner doesn't like that. But what if I went to my partner and said, I know you're really busy with sobriety. I know we have a lot of work to do later. And right now it's this, but I would like some place that I feel like we can connect around it. Do you have any suggestions? Like, 
is ask a question, you know, is there any way that I could be part of this or what could I do for you to feel most supported in what you're doing? You know, just that, just one, again, like where you want to go, you know, they, they interviewed the, the most winning race car drivers in the world years back in success magazine. It was one of the favorite things I ever read. And there's only one, they were trying to find common denominators, right? Who everybody wins races. And there was only one thing they all had in common. None of them looked at the wall because wherever you look at, look at, right. It's where you drive the car. And it is very true for life. You know, where you are looking, you're going to drive your car right into that. So is it something place you want to go or is it? And so my simplest thing is, as you think of what you don't want, you know, I, I, you know, as you're looking and like, oh, he's so selfish. He's, she's so this, she's so that think of what you do want. Oh, I want to see appreciation. I want to see love. I want to feel connection and then do something for that. Say to your partner, I want to have more connection. Is there anything we can do right now to do that? Like it, it's not rocket science on that level. Sorry. You, you put such a great positive spin and, and I mean, I'm sold. I'm, I'm buying everything you're selling and I don't mean to make it sound cheesy. Like, no, I'm no, I get it. I always really say I'm selling it. sobriety. I tell clients that all the time. I'm like, I feel like you're going to die. So I am selling something hard that I yeah. want you to get so you can save your life. Well, that that's right in line with, with the question that's popped into my head. When, when you meet with couples for the first time, is it not true that typically they're there because one of the two wants to be there and the other one has been dragged kicking and screaming? And what's the process like for you to bring it around to, oh, because you talk about this. We're, you, we've said it several times just here today. It's a shared resource. When you take from me, you're taking, or yeah, you're taking from our shared resource. Yeah. Like we should be pulling together in the same direction. Is it hard to get the, the reluctant spouse, the reluctant half of the couple to come around to these ideas um, or is it just your years of success and experience makes that an easy sell now? Talk about that a little bit. It's a great question. It, I, I say a couple things to folks that usually helps them sort of get it. Um, well, first of all, you know, what is your definition, definition of success in this relationship? Like, what do you want and do you have it? Like, that's pretty easy. Cause even the one who didn't want to come is like, well, <laughs> you know, right. And so I, I sort of use that as like, okay, well, what can we do to there? And I don't often focus on the sobriety. I'm right. You have to connect to correct. And that's what I tell them. So if you want to, you know, if you go to your kid, right. And the two of you are kind of in attention and you try to tell them to do something, right. Doesn't or anybody doesn't work, but if you're connected, if you have a nice connection and then you say, Hey, I'm having trouble with X, Y, or Z, you get something, you get somewhere. But what happens is when we're doing well with our partners, let's say we don't want to talk about the thing because <laughs> we're doing well. We don't rock the boat. What are you crazy? But that's exactly when you should talk about it. It's it's you, but, but when I just say that to people, like you want this thing in your relationship, but you keep trying to go there, but there's no connection. We have to work on the connection first. And then people start to feel better very quickly because it feels that's all we want anyway. <laughs> it's really all we want. We just want to feel appreciation. We just want to feel loved. We want to feel cherished. And I can usually help them get that very quickly. And then it's like, oh, I like this. Let me do the work, right? Let me, let me get to the next thing. And I will also say that I say a lot, do you want to be correct or effective? Like you can be correct all day yeah. that you should stop, that your husband should stop drinking. Yeah. Okay. You're correct. Is it effective? You've begged, you've cajoled, you've threatened. Has any of that been effective? No. So what can we do now? Like what could be effective? What yeah. could work? And people like that. They're like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. So that's what I, I do. Love I love it. I'm, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Yes. This is great. Yes. I have, okay. Here, here's a really important question. When people ask you for your advice and they, they present a situation, a scenario to you, do they start it out with Dear Abby? <laughs> I have a little segment sometimes on the podcast called um, uh, Dear Dr. Abby. So I, you know, insert that in. Yeah. Cause it's great. Right. Like I, but I think that's a generational thing. Obviously yeah. younger folks who do listen to my podcast don't, I don't think make any connection. Cause they're not reading the papers that have, you know, 
I don't. They don't read papers. Like, what are you talking about? Like, paper? What are you crazy? Yeah. This is great. We've covered a ton of ground, Abby. What are we missing? I I don't mean to put you on the spot, but um, God, I I just feel so full of advice and information and action items. Um, What what haven't we covered that you'd like to cover? Is there anything? Well, there's always more. I would say this, that we didn't cover that really needs to be covered. (laughs) I, I can teach folks the best tools in the world to you. I really, I'm like, right. They're great. You go, Oh my God, that's brilliant. If you don't remember to use them in the moment, it's useless to you. And you know how you do that later, you face palm, you're like, Oh, why did I say that? Or what was I thinking? Or, Oh, I have all these good things to say now, (laughs) three hours later. And so the thing you must work on, and I talk about a lot, I have lots of free resources on this, on the podcast, on my website, like it's free, free, free. I want to say that too. I, my goal is world peace. And I believe we would have world peace if everyone was happier in the relationships. And I really mean that I've been doing this a long time, 35 years. So I make all my stuff accessible. People have to pay money to see me and I make money on books and other things, but what I put out on the podcast and in my book and uh, on the, my YouTube channel and my everywhere is completely free and the best information you could possibly get. And a lot of the reviews actually are like, it feels like therapy for free. And that's great. Like you, I want you to change your life if you can't afford to see someone or whatever that is. Right. And having said that, so what's on there is you have to, have to, have to, have to work on your mindfulness you have to start practicing being in the here and now. It doesn't mean you have to meditate. Addicts, especially, we get freaked out. We're like, I don't want to meditate. Like, I can't, I can't meditate. So don't worry about that. But what I'm describing a lot is our ways to be mindful. If you planned your feelings during the day, if you set intention, right? If you really thought about it each during, that's being mindful. Because, and here, and here it is. Here's every argument you've ever had. You're, um, I, I, this is one I had. So I was, I'm in the shower. I'm about to go fly to talk. This is before pandemic. You know, Gary walks in <laughs> and what am I thinking of in the shower? Am I thinking of how, am I in my moment? Am I thinking about how warm the water feels, how good it is to relax before my flight later? No. I bet right? you're worried about something. I'm like, are the kids have all their things? Did I pack the stuff? Did I do the thing? Did I write? I'm listing. He walks in and a few weeks before we had needed a, um, a plumber to come to the house and the plumber doesn't like him. He likes me. And so <laughs> he had, and I had said, you know, I was conscious. I was not using when we was, you know, he said, would you call the plumber? And I said, yes. And now here it is. I'm in the shower and he comes in and goes, Hey babe, did you call the plumber? There's a yes or no answer to that. Correct. Right. <laughs> I hadn't by the way. And I hadn't called the plumber and I didn't say yes or no. Get, what did I say? I, I don't know, but I'm on the edge of my seat. Tell you me. know what I said, because I was not in a healthy place. I, well, I, was, I like, was too busy. I had, yeah. I had well, you know, yes, I didn't have time and I was planning all the stuff and I did this and I did this and I did this, right? I was do and I'm like yelling at, right? And then I realized it was quiet and like I peek around the shower curtain. I realize he's not there anymore. <laughs> he's left the room because he knows I'm insane. And because I practice what I preach, if I practice it fully, I would have remembered in the shower, but I didn't. But in that moment, I was like, oh, such an idiot. Like I blew that, right? I blew it. That is every fight you've ever had. You were somewhere else and they came to you with something, right? It's very simple, like yes or no. If you're in your moment, you're not reacting, you're acting, not reacting, right? And by the way, if I hadn't noticed, we would have had a big fight or if he hadn't, right? Why are you yelling at me? You're the one who said you'd call the plumber. Why am I the bad guy? I asked you really nicely. What's right? I, can't you hear? You've had this conversation. <laughs> you've had this argument. And then I would have left for the week and we would have been in a fight. And then it would have lasted even longer. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. horrible what we do because we are not in our moments. We are on friggin' autopilot all day long. And then someone says that thing and we're over here, I'm doing my work and I'm feeling really behind. And then you ask me what time I want to stop for dinner. Well, I can't stop when you're asking me questions. I'd already be done if you'd stop talking to me, right? Like, it's like, really? Just stop, say hi. You know, it, it takes a second. But this is what happens on autopilot. So our job is to at least have one person so if I do have that reaction and the partner goes, Hey, I, you know, can we stop again? 
I know you're busy. I'm just asking about dinner. I love you. I'm right here. Let's just have a moment, you know, and the person can go, oh my God. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. What, <laughs> what did you ask? You know, and you have that little connection and you both go do your thing. That's, that's all it takes, but it it's, you have to be mindful. So practicing that all day long, I have lots of tips for that and things, you know, to do it. It's not hard. It takes seconds a day and to really start setting intention more often. I call it the 18 second shift because I'm anal and I've timed it and it takes 18 <laughs> seconds on average. Oh yeah. I timed it like 60 times uh, <laughs> to just stop. You know, before I walk in the house, I set intention. I just sit, sit in my car. How do I want to be when I walk in? What energy do I want to bring into my home? Because I'm a control freak. I'll get on the, oh, who's done the homework? Who picked up the dog poop? What is going on? Where's this? Where's that? What is doing? I, right? People don't like that. I know it's shocking because it's, I'm just here to improve your life with all of my orders. <laughs> but for some reason, the people in my home didn't like that. And it's not good, right? What am I doing? I've missed them all day. I haven't seen them. Like, what, what, what am I doing? It's okay. Yes, things have to get done. Yes, the dog poop has to get picked up. I get it. But there's something, there's again, the connect first. Yeah. And just stopping to do that. Do I do it perfectly? No, no one does. It's okay. Get over it, you know? But do I strive to do it as often as possible? And do you get better at it the more you practice? Yeah. Th I, that's I, it. I love that you drove this home at, as, you know, being mindful. It's, it's, one thing to acknowledge it and for us to sit here and listen to you talk and for our listeners to listen to this podcast episode and go, oh yeah, that's important. But then go back to their old patterns. It's, and, and actually practicing it, that's where the payoff is. And it's so important and, and easy if we'd actually do it. It makes me think of, we actually had a guest on a couple of months ago, Catherine Craig. She's a therapist and, and she talks a lot about how we know we need to eat right. And we know we need to exercise and we know we need to get out in nature and we know we need, um, we need connection with other people and sleep if I didn't say that right. But then in our daily practice, we don't make sure any of that happens. So we give lip service to it, but then we don't actually do any of it. And then we go to the therapist and say, what's wrong with me, doc? And the therapist says, well, you're not doing these things I keep telling you to do. And it sounds like this fits into the exact same category. It would be so easy to say, yeah, well, that sounds like a great idea but I'm going to go ahead and not do any of that anyway. And then stay in the same cycle in the same rut and remain stuck. But you really actually have to do it. And I love Here, And I love here's what they can do right now. How's that right now, right now, everybody listening can right now, take out your phone and set a reminder for three times a day and have it for one week. So don't do it forever. Do it for one week. And when that little reminder goes off, send it with whatever you want. 10 a.m. Don't look at your schedule. You can be in the middle of something and do this. It's fine. You don't have to look for breaks. And when it goes off, just bring yourself present. Just notice where you were because you probably weren't focused on whatever was happening. I'll bet that. <laughs> you know, you probably, yeah. we know that from the research, Matt Killingsworth, if no one's watched his TED talk, it's amazing um, how our minds wander about 50% of the time. 50% of the time, you're not listening to what's going on. And if you're doing something rote, it's closer to 70% of the time. Sex is about 10% of the time. So <laughs> sex, you tend to be pretty present. Although 10%, I'm like, what are you doing in that 10%? I'd like to know where you are. But anyway, but, but right now, I mean, literally right now, like you, you just, you pause the podcast right now and you just set the timer reminder for three times a week for one week, your life will change. I guarantee it. You, next week you'll be like, cause what happens? You, our brains are neuroplastic and you are programming it to remind you to be in your moment. And so even when the reminder doesn't go off, you will start noticing yourself. You'll start being like, oh, here I am. You know, you'll start seeing and just see how do I feel right now? Oh, I'm a little anxious in my stomach or, oh, I'm hungry or, oh, I'm, um, I, I was, wow, I was way over there. I need to be over here. Just check in, kind of reset, recalibrate, you know, set a new intention. Okay. Let me, let me focus. Let me be right here. Let me connect, whatever. And then go about your day. Take seconds, seconds. So in literally a minute full a day, like fully, just one minute a day, you can literally change it all. Like that's that, great. Yeah. What, what great advice. Mm -hmm. I'm Abby Metcalf. I'm so glad that you have been here in this moment with us in these moments. I guess this was longer than a moment, um, but a just, moment. I've gotten so much out of it. What, what's the best way for people to hear more from you, connect with you? Where should we direct people who want to know more? 
Mm-hmm. It's really the website has everything. So it's abbymedcalf.com and it's A-B-B-Y, M is a Mary, E, D is in Donald, <laughs> C-A-L-F.com, abbymedcalf.com. And that has the links to the podcast and the blog and the YouTube channel and all my social media and the book. And there's a, there's a shop page with free things also. I mean, really free like free. Uh, There's a learned optimism workshop on there and there's a forgiveness, you know, there's all kinds of stuff on there. And then there's things you can buy too. But, um, and I have a weekly newsletter you can sign up for. And really that's me talking about my life and raising kids and all the things we do, usually with a little lesson in there, something I've learned, you know, it's really a very personal, it's not like a selling you stuff newsletter. It's like a hoping people again, get some inspiration in the middle of their week to really stay on point. That's what it's about. So yeah, you can sign up there too. That's great. Well, we'll, we'll include that link in the show notes. Good. Thank you. Abby, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, really you moved me from a four to like, I'm like an 11 now. Fired up, (laughs) ready to go. Thanks so much, Abby. Thank you. It was so great being here. It was great meeting both of you. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.